Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on where you're at in the world. This is Angelo Gonzalez, your host of Miss Radio. Today's episode is titled The Grateful Art of an Unexamined Healthy Life. So we'll be talking about what does it mean to be healthy in this day and age? Rafael Hernandez, a MBEP housing associate, and I will be discussing this question and simply catching up on life, health, and the pursuit of more housing for our fellow farm workers and families living in the Pajaro and Salinas Valley, especially during this time of COVID. So without further ado, here's Rafa. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. Hey, hey, hey. What's going on, Rafael? Hola, Angelo. Good. Uh, it's been a minute since we talked. Oh, since man. you got on the horn. And definitely on podcast. Podcast format. See. Yeah, it's, oh man, has it been like a year? <laughs> Maybe longer, actually. No kidding, yeah. And, and the world looked a lot different the last time. Man, so much has changed. Uh, how you doing, yeah. man? Uh, good. I feel good. I feel blessed. Um, I feel uh, determined. I feel healthy and determined. That's a pretty good feeling. Yeah. You don't, you don't yeah. got the COVID sounds like, it sounds like you're, you're pretty healthy. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Thanks. Well, when I said healthy, gosh, that's true. I didn't, I wasn't referring to that, but I'm healthy there too. Thank goodness. Um, I met, yeah, it was funny. I was, th- I meant healthy in the overall sense, but not, um, it's kind of interesting how <clears throat> things change. Like for example, if, if you've been out in public, somewhere you know you get gas or grocery store and then you know let's say uh some dust got in your nose and you're like want to sneeze like i'm afraid to sneeze in public now oh, and, yeah. I, and as soon as it, when one escapes i'm like it's, it's just allergies just allergies nothing you know <laughs> but it feels like so nervous i feel like um i'm not going to turn into a zombie don't worry this is not world war z <laughs> World yeah, what's COVID. worse is is when you do sneeze and you have the mask on. Oh man, you just get all this like gooey stuff. On. You're just like, oh my god, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, do I this do? is a this is a great way to start the the podcast. Gooey stuff <laughs> in your mask. Uh, I think when I yeah when I said healthy, uh, maybe I just kind of been in my head um, because of a lot of convers things happening in conversations I've been having. I meant, I guess, spiritually or psychologically, you know, overall meaning. And by that, I mean, when, when some, you know, if something is stressful and it frustrates you and you're frustrated, well, that's healthy. That's good. That's a frustrating thing. A healthy response is to be frustrated. If something makes you angry and you're angry, if there's a thing that's a cause for anger, and you feel the anger, well, that makes sense, you know. Um, and then, then it's a matter of okay, so I'm angry, I'm frustrated, uh, and then you find opportunities to engage that. One meaning, or if you're sad, if you're depressed, and you, you know, that's one way I've dealt with a lot of things. Where I go, well, I'm, I'm, the, I'm glad that I'm sad about this. This thing merits for me to be really bummed out. And the fact that I am bummed out, I feel sad about this. Like, wow, that's good. I, I accept this sadness. I accept this pain because it's 
in my view, the right response to this thing. So I'm healthy. And then the next step from there is I have people that care about me that can support me. I have opportunities to engage the thing through a professional way, through work, through uh, volunteering, through art. I write a rap about it or I hit the heavy bag, go for a run. The fact that I have these things, then I feel grateful. I feel like that Einstein quote, you know, in discord, find harmony. And um, there's, there's three, I always forget them. And there's like in discord, find harmony in difficulty lies opportunity. And there's another one in, in clutter, find, in clutter, find simplicity in discord, find harmony in difficulty lies opportunity. And the fact that I, can navigate that stuff, um, and then I have resources. And by resources, it could mean you know, material ones, social ones, psychological ones, physical ones. You know, I can I can run. I have running shoes, and I can run. So I'm grateful that I have legs at work, and I can carry me, and I can run and do something, or I can uh, shadow box, or practice, uh, you know, do some jujitsu rolls or some Muay Thai stuff. And I'm grateful that those martial arts exist, those things exist, um, music, all that. So that's, then I have gratitude. And every day, no matter how messed up, and some days uh, for, you know, for people can be really messed up. Um, I'll, I won't tell someone that. Uh, I'll sit with them. If someone's going through something, I'll sit with them. I won't tell them, hey, be grateful. But I know that I, you know, from, I'll tell myself that. Mm. And and then so that's why I mean healthy. I go wow, that's I feel healthy then, uh, and I and that means something now because uh, the pandemic has created a lot of um, issues that we'll talk about in the housing lens um, in our conversation, and that have created new pains, uh, complications, things that were normal now are complicated or inaccessible and people that had already issues folks on the low end they were already whether it's with housing um with you know uh, living month to month all that stuff Mm -hmm. this just if it it was in many ways to a, a lot of people the systemic issues were obvious covid came and of course it always hits the the most vulnerable, it made it nakedly, beyond nakedly obvious. It's kind of like, look, I don't know what else is it beyond this pandemic do you need to see that like things were bad and now like all the veils have been removed. Right. So um, that's why I think it's important I, I, for me to acknowledge uh, my health, not not just the physical health, but everything I just talked about and to be, have gratitude mm. and yeah. get to work. Exactly. Yeah. The capitalize the T and the capitalized W, the work is what we're here for. Um, and, and where we place that at the nexus of, of where we are now. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think you bring up a va- vital point in terms of how we consider our health, right? And what, what, um, what constitutes that in our, in our frame of reference um, and, and, not only on the surface level, but also deep down, you know, and then, and then also acknowledging um, that presence of, of, of gratitude 
you know, along the way. It's it's such a <laughs> weird time because um, I think like, you know, if you believe in God or if, or if you know, just Mother Nature and just the predicament, it feels like we've been put in a, a big timeout, you know, and we're having to have to examine ourselves on a on a deep fundamental spiritual levels just as much as like the physical level you know with within our lives and uh, oh man it's it's caused a lot of recourse uh of of action and planning and uh, just different pursuits you know i i, I don't know uh, just to catch you up on on my life you know i'm, I'm about wrapping up my my final practicum this summer with uh, Middlebury and um, I was on my way to uh, DC to the Capitol to work for Congressman Panetta as an intern as a legislative intern and um, I stopped in Arkansas and I decided to prematurely leave um, on May 25th and Mm. which is it's it's striking because that date was the same day George George Floyd passed away and um, you know I was on my way and all of a sudden all this rain started pouring down and um, I you know just hydroplaned into the Ozarks into the forest at like 70 miles per hour car got completely totaled um, and there was that moment where I, I just like everything just stopped you know and I thought that was it you know I was it was like a flash you know everything went just black for a second and um you know i i thought that was that was the end you know um and it was oh man it's it's wow. an incredible feeling um and then i'm you know my i come to and i look all around me and this car is up in smoke and i'm thinking to myself like the first thing um uh, you know i'm in the middle of all these airbags and the windows are busted open and I see all this smoke and I'm like, oh no, this thing's about to blow. <laughs> Obviously I've seen too many action films, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but like, yeah, I get out of there as soon as I can and it's pouring rain, you know, and I, I just can't believe. And I just, you know, I collapse on the, on the side of the highway in the grass. And um, I was just, you know, blown away at that moment. And, you know, the next day, you know, luckily the car was totaled, but I, I was okay. Um, I just suffered some uh, third degree burns. And then um, oh my gosh, I had some like some major whiplash to my neck, which once I get health insurance, I'll definitely <laughs> go see a chiropractor or something. But um, it was it was nuts. And then to boot the following day, I got word from from the Hill saying that they had to postpone my, my internship because of because of covid so i was like damn and you know um there were just a lot of things a lot of trauma just happening all at once um and i had i had all these like goals in mind i I had uh people in mind that you know i was going to i was in a relationship and you know that had to be put off you know and we, we went our separate ways and it, it, and, you know, I was looking at that, you know, just that, like how many people, you know, breaking up slash like divorcing and like, you know, so it's, it's been a hell of a trying time to say the least. 
um, to work through that. And like you said, like, you know, when you have pain and suffering and like, okay, how do you, how do you use this as fuel to the fire? You know, um, what, what are you learning from that? Um, and then how, how are you getting, how are you like rising from the ashes, you know, like a Phoenix and trying to make sense of this, but then also continue, continue the work, uh, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, you know, I, I just had my second interview with uh, AmeriCorps and um, it's this position with um, a nonprofit in the middle of New York City. Um, and their, their main deal is addressing food insecurity. So I, I would do it for about 10 months. Um, and honestly, it's just, it's very unconventional uh, in my mind, but like something tells me like some good's going to come out of it. And I'm just trusting that for now, you know? Um, so, a, so yeah. So next week I'll find out. And then, you know, if I get the position in two or three weeks, I'll, I'll take the road trip up North. Nice. Something good will come out of it if um i mean that's what you want and all the ingredients are there and i know you so i have no doubt because you're that's what you're about um you said so many things it one it's like i'm glad you're safe but damn third degree burns and the issue of health insurance gosh oh i i don't even want to um, you know, with the, the campaigns, I kind of tuned after um, Bernie was um, didn't you know lost the primaries. I I took a step back because I well there was a lot of stuff going on in, in my life, but I also felt like I needed a break from <clears throat> the politics and everything. So, uh, but you know that just came back to mind because healthcare was such the big thing, and I was frustrated at how. He was the only one that really stayed consistent and went full force on it. Everyone else, including Elizabeth Warren, uh, to some degree, went back or changed it a little. Her not so much, but I I had a little moment where I was like, wait, no, come on, come on. No, not you, Liz, (laughs) come on. And she made me doubt a little, and uh, that started to affect me. The others, I was like, oh, man, there they go. Uh, but it's it's so key because look at this like the fact that you have to say something like that and it's so normal in our culture and as soon as I get health insurance I'm gonna take care of that whiplash I'll see someone about that like damn dude that that should be you should be able to do that because you have it now and this is not the way people are supposed to, are supposed to be making these health decisions but um, I'm I'm happy you're. It seems like you're more or less fine aside from those things. The third degree burns, though, that's no joke. That's some serious stuff there. And I'd be scared, too, that it was going to blow up. So you know, maybe I watch. I definitely watched a lot of action movies. Um, you also said, well, yes, we all want to rise from the ashes like the phoenix and become out stronger. And we, we do. Um, a lot of what I've reflected on over the years um, or have felt like I've processed is, you know, the movies and things that report like one hit, like uh, people that seem like they came out overnight successes, all that. 
they don't uh, we don't see in the movies or in the documentaries uh, that like the 10 years or 15 years or whatever of all of this unglamorous work. And for me, I realized that the it's kind of like kind of like Buddhist uh, thought where I try to go to the most basic, mundane, accessible thing. Um, I go, okay, well, I, you know, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling weak, disappointed, or, you know, challenged, let's say, whatever the adjective is, and that I'm feeling challenged. Um, and I know that there's all kinds of things that need to be done, either financially, politically, policy-wise, physically, you know, all these things. And that's why, you know, I think, well, okay, uh, I'm going to do something that's productive right now, something constructive. And I'll just, it could just be take three solid deep breaths. That's a positive thing. I'm, I'm breathing, bringing in uh, oxygen, breathing deeply. My body likes that. And then I get to better blood flow, ox better oxidation in the blood. My brain is full of the blood. <clears throat> if that blood has more oxygen in it, you know, that's, that's going to help. Uh, do some stretches, do a little, you know, hum, sing. Uh, things that are very basic and go, okay, every morning now I'm going to, do this and maybe it's like while I brush my teeth you know because um, we might not have time say well I'll slip it in somewhere while I'm brushing my teeth <laughs> I'm gonna lift the knee up like a like I'm and then try to stretch my leg out as I'm brushing my teeth and then I'll try to do that and I know that my brain is not working because I'm trying to keep balance and I'll brush my teeth with my left hand you know and all of a sudden it feels awkward but I know my brain now is creating new connections because it's trying to re-coordinate re what I would normally do with my right hand on both feet now I'm doing it with my left hand on one foot and something silly or mundane or something that's maybe not less esoteric or eccentric um, and more uh, pragmatic, such as I'm going to wash the dishes or finally clean up that shelf thing that I've been, that little project I've been putting off. And then, um, or listen to a, a certain podcast in the morning, create a routine where I'm going to put on some, you know, enter mm, your miss radio. It's a miss radio, exactly. And listen to something that's gonna bring me a positive attitude, some knowledge, some information, some important data, etc. But and then implementing things like that. Then another week later, implement two things and create momentum on something. Um, and it's and then uh, you know the rising to the top, it's like those New Year's resolutions where you like start off, you get the gear, you boom, and you wake up at 6 a.m. and you're out there, boom, and you just do this huge 180 on something. And then often that's hard to maintain and it starts to fizzle out and then you feel guilty and bad about yourself and, and like that was short-lived. It's okay to try that and go for the big thing and if it fizzles out, you know, then fizzle it back up um, or ad adjusted or whatever, or maybe that you learn that, okay, that wasn't the thing is something else. Um, I also just think it's basic step-by-step -step stuff, very accessible things, very mundane unglamorous things that create the habits, change the neural pathways in our brain and start to shift the mentality a little bit, a little bit. And then you start to see progress and think I like to make goals. Um, if it's a significant thing, I like to think 18 months ahead. I think it's not too far out 
it's it's not so short where um, it's not sustainable. It's not so far out where you think, gosh, I can't wait that long or conditions change. If you make like a 10 year goal, it that's good. But you always have to be, you know, along the way making adjustments because conditions can change. Technology can can improve that then makes your original plan for 10 years out um, dated. So that that's what I've thought about um, with COVID and forcing us to stay indoors a lot. Um, I, I've been enjoying it as much as I can in, in those aspects. I've seen the new things that open up. And I and a lot of people have been saying that they're more intentional about reaching out to old friends that, you know, you just don't because busy and all that stuff. Everyone's busy. I try not to – I don't like using that word. I've, I Sometimes I catch myself wanting to use it. Man, I'm really busy. In the text, hey, man, um, let's meet um, – I've been wanting to get in touch with you or, you know, hook up with you for a while, but uh, I've been busy and I go, ah, don't say busy. Everyone's busy. Busy doesn't (laughs) necessarily mean productive. You know, you can fill your day with a bunch of stuff. Doesn't necessarily mean that that's productive stuff. So I I think, okay, look at the successful people. How are they busy? Quote unquote, are they busy bodies? What, What is it that they do? How do they manage their time? And I try to do that and, and have them as somewhat mentors. And again, it's not like um, I can learn, you know, we can learn from anyone. Yet Warren, people, Warren Buffett or even, like even Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, here's the thing that I thought, like Arnold Schwarzenegger never stood out to me as someone that I'd, you know, I'd be looking at saying uh, Maya Angelou, Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, you know, I mean, like that very easy go-to folks, definitely. Um, the thing is someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger where like okay well what what did he do okay Terminator and all that movie star and you start thinking about like everything he did he was a weightlifter and he became famous for lifting weights and became like the champion of that then he's like okay I'm going to do movies and he I think Bill Burr the comedian has this, this thing about that he says that and then the guy says like he sounds he says this guy should have been unloading trucks in Transylvania and he just like has been killing it. He's like, then he's like, I'm gonna do movies, even though I talk barely speak English. And he does it, and he becomes like biggest movie action star. Then he's like, I'm gonna, and become successful at businesses. Then he's like, um, I don't know, I'm gonna get into politics. And you know, he's like, he's like, I'm gonna marry a Kennedy. Like, there's no way you're gonna marry a Kennedy. Boom, he marries into the Kennedy family. Then he goes for office. California, like the largest, the, you know, now the fifth largest economy in the world. Uh, and he wins. And again, whether we can say, well, yeah, but how good did he do? Sure, of course, it can analyze and critique. The thing is, he's been setting goals and killing it and making them. And I'm like, okay, what the heck does this guy have? Like, how does he plan? So that I want to take any elements from there and then apply them to to the things that um, I want to do and go, well, how did he organize his time? How did he set the goal? And just, cause he, he wasn't acting material in English <laughs> or politics or, and he went into these whole new realms that were new to him. So I thought, so some, so that's what I mean. Like being open to what, where we can learn. That's why I picked him. Cause it's kind of like an odd, odd example in some ways. Um, right. Right. I mean, life has a, interesting way in which you know it takes you down certain paths that either you choose 
you choose it or, or, or it chooses you, right? In terms of like like me pursuing this uh position, you know, in, in a in a non profit service space, um it's completely something I mean, I just the other day I was telling my dad this and he was like, You you got two masters and you're gonna you're gonna settle for this? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I, I think I am <laughs> You know, and he's like, what, what are you going to get out of that? Like, I'm like, I just have this intuition about it that, um, when you go into a different world, um, and it could be anything, right. It's as if, if, if you can enter that space with an open mind, um, you, you kind of eliminate the possibility of any barriers to, 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 opportunity right and like it's like um it reminds me of uh a friend of mine who his main aim was to learn different languages and like right now he's he's in um he wasn't uh geneva for a time and then um he has a french girlfriend and he didn't know a lick of uh french to begin with so I was like, dude, how are you gonna how are you gonna survive? How are you gonna talk to you know her and her parents? And he's like, I don't know, I'm, I'll just figure it out, you know. And then several months later, I I I, I contact him and he, I can hear his French, you know, sounds pretty good. And uh, he he also is uh, exemplary in, in the fact that like he'll apply to a job and he'll have only one qualification for a job that's like, you know, mid mid-level you know we're, we're entry level at this point um and he'll get the position you know and and that's something that I, i've always been apprehensive about you know like just looking at job applications if if one of if one of the things on there sets me apart where i i don't have that qualification i'll i'll like look the other way you know so it's like how do we tap into like um building that confidence you know to say like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go into hollywood or i'm gonna run for governor you know it's like uh this this intuitive belief in in yourself and like the road that you're you're walking you know yes and that's that can be obscured the uh oh my god it's terrifying (laughs) (laughs) um but you know the whole following your own truth and all that type of stuff. It's, um, it, it can be, it's a simple thing, and, but the path to it can, can be all over the place. And I don't know if people still say this now, uh, young people, but that thing about, I got to go, you know, probably not. Um, they're like, I, I got to go, I got to find myself. Like, I don't want to go to college or after college, what's your job? Well, I, I don't want to just get tied down to a job. I got to go find myself. This probably made more sense in previous generations where you were the goal, like many people, the norm was to stick with one company for, and retire from it. That's so is not the, the world we live in now. Um, so that you probably find yourself along your career path because you're going to be doing different things. And, um, but that I think, that same thing about wanting to find yourself, what it was called in the past, um, find your truth, live your truth, all that kind of stuff. It's, I, I think right now, 
it's harder in some ways because there's so much information. But before, there, I think I, I call it like, um, there's a term I've heard for this, um, something ignorance. Um, but before, for example, people, ha it had to do with like, um, okay, Donald, Donald Rumsfeld is, uh, has this famous quote where he says, there are <clears throat> uh, known knowns. That is to say, there are things that we know, we know. You know, something like your, your age, your ethnicity, your likes, there's certain things that are your financial situation. Like there's things that you know, uh, and you know that you know them. And this is then there are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we n are aware that we don't uh, have, a, have an understanding of. So if I were to ask you, um, you know, if you're at a, have a bonfire, as we like to do, you know, in the Monterey Bay, uh, and someone were to ask you, what's the chemical composition of the fire? You might say, yeah, okay, I don't know that. I know I don't know that. I know it has one, and I know that I don't know the chemical composition of the fire. Um, and then the third thing you said, and then there are unknown unknowns. And that for me is, there are things that either you think you know and you don't, and you can make a lot of confident decisions on faulty information that can get you into trouble and create a lot of a big mess. Or the, another way of it, it could be you don't even know that you don't know this thing that's a big factor in something you're involved in. Like you're not even aware that that is something. It's like a, a total blind spot. So you think you have it covered. Okay, I know this. I'm not sure about that. And then you go, okay, so that's the landscape. There, you could be missing a, another critical piece that you don't even know exists, the unknown unknowns. And Stephen Hawking, there's a quote attributed to him that says, the greatest enemy to knowledge is an ignorance. It's the illusion of knowledge. And... I think nowadays, because you can just go online and just go to find, you know, just get information on the spot about things, there's a lot of info out there, but there's not a lot of knowledge. And definitely wisdom doesn't follow soon after just doing Google searches. And Google searches as well are a terrible place to get uh, objective data because everything is starts to tailor toward your searches and what other people are searching. And so there's the bias is built into the algorithmic or whatever the calculation is for it to search. It's interesting. And that's why we feel so comfortable with Google. I think mm -hmm. it's because it's starting to give you the things that make you feel good about what you know, what you think, you know, <laughs> your known knowns, your known unknowns. And, um, and there's a big unknown unknown that starts to develop. So I think it gets harder now that it's the opposite of 100 years ago where people didn't know about certain germs and microbes and the unknown unknowns there were messing them up and they had to figure it out. Why was there this people getting sick, you know, before they learned about spread of diseases and all that to now there's just so much information and how do you navigate that? Well, one person says this. Yeah, well, I cited this other study. You see the politicians are always like, according to these studies, and they talk about 
whether it's the climate or something. And then, and then other, the opposite side will say, well, no, there's, I also have studies that say, and they support my view. Then how does that right. work? Yeah. And so that's why I think it's hard to your point about, um, you know, well, what, what I was saying about going out, finding yourself, living your truth. Um, what is that in, in the world of, of, today. of today with these search engines and just all the information that you need to make you right. <laughs> we got oh, it. Oh yeah. Like, um, and that's, that's part of it is, is, you know, dismantling, you know, what, what we consider our known truths, you know, um, because they can be uh, subjective in, in, in our rationale, you know, towards, defending our own positions and and that's how i think you bring up a valid point and one of the things that comes to mind in my mind is how this creates a sense of tribalism you know mm. and um I, I i think i do anthropologically speaking believe that that's deeply embedded into any human society across time and space you know where we have the potentiality to just get into our own little tribes, you know, and, and just stay there, you know, and the, the, the interesting part about tribalism and how can we maintain a sensible uh, objective truth, you know, how do we discern information and ex, ex, expressions of that information? You know, how do we engage our, our critical thinking skills to say, okay, mm, there's a little, you know, conservative bias here, or mm, there's a little bit more liberal bias here, you know, and try to make sense of that. And, and, and how do you facilitate exchanges? Uh, because I, I think we're at a really fascinating time where um, I think democracy as a whole, you know, we, we should... And I say we should. Should should is is a funny <laughs> word. It is because um, like the moment you say it, you know, it implies that like, hey, you should do this, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's it's important to encourage our dialogue, um, you know, and, and 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 from that dialogue, it come from a place where we may we may very well disagree on something, you know. But like, how can what comes out of that, you know, um, dialogue hopefully creates a sensible discourse where we have an understanding of one another and saying, okay, well, how'd you get those numbers, you know, and who's supporting that, you know, piece of legislation, mm -hmm. who are your stakeholders? Um, and yeah, <laughs> I know this has been, uh, I could talk to you like all day. Um, I miss you, man. Um, I really yeah. do. It, it's crazy. I'm, I'm in Texas right now. Uh, so yeah <laughs> i'm at my parents house um but yeah so i mean without further ado man i, I don't want to take up a... no no well, I, actually i was gonna take it from there to like um to like the housing issues and we can talk about whatever like this is totally fine I, it's just wherever it goes but when you uh you're making the point um from what you were just saying i'm thinking how looking at life like idealism and practicality mm. what does that mean I, I don't like when people say well i'm realistic i go well 
there's a there's a song an old um gosh it was a, it's an old group no very few people listening would know if if at all uh called my life with a thrill kill cult and they had a sample where the song started off with a sample of saying reality is the only word in the english language that should always be used in quotes <laughs> and uh, pretty witty yeah, and I thought about, I think about that, it comes every, throughout the years, and I, this is when I was in high school, um, back in the 90s, so uh, it's come back, but I think about um, the different phases I've been in my life so far, and not saying, oh, uh, in my, you know, in my youth, and now in my old wisdom, but just so far, <laughs> up, until, up until now, I've, the, the sample of life that I have to look at, I've seen how the idealism, and quote, practicality and whatever being realistic i don't i use those words more as a as a generic term so idealistic i'm i'm idealistic and i say that generically like i'm idealistic like i i think about uh, i don't know maybe it's um you know one love and all that stuff that's how mm. i feel but then i think uh, practical i definitely work i'm not the most practical and i can be very practical um, I think I had to work at that. And by practical, I just mean get from point A to point B uh, without necessarily stopping and smelling the roses, without being poetic about it. Just like say the thing. Okay, I need, I could tell you um, if, I, if I wanted to explain to you um, what happened in a situation, I'll tell you who, what, when, where, you know, how. Like I met this guy, he said this, and then I got upset. And then, uh, and then I, I smashed that. And then I left. Boom. That's the story, right? But if I want to be more uh, the way I normally, I'd create a narrative, I give a little more context, and I and I describe the phase. And then at that point, I said that I felt the blood boil inside me, and it rose up. And I was thinking, man, my fist was talking to me. He's like, dude, we can right left hook right here. He's right. And I was like, shut up. I was talking to my fist. Don't do that. You know, this is not. You're not gonna punch someone unless they're in the ring in the match. You're sparring, but and then you know, so I do all this the way I normally want to. So I, I, I at least can recognize what being practical is, whether I'm executing it that way or not, I can tell, okay, I'm not being as practical, quote unquote, um, but what do you want? Or I can, okay, dun, 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 done, there's the story. Pretty empty, pretty skeletal, but you got the point. And then, but then what's realistic? Well, realism, I mean, humans are, we're emotional, so, to be, what is being honest in, in a certain case where you think, okay, if I say this like that, it's going to hurt their feelings because they just came from this serious event. They just had a loss in their life, this and that. So, mm. I mean, what is honesty? I mean, honesty, but then is it just honesty? Is it just the data? Or how do I bring in consideration, empathy, and all that into the whole thing, but not misleading and not putting them at a detriment because I didn't deliver information timely that they needed. So it becomes a bit more comprehensive that way. So what's realistic, what's practical, what's idealistic. Um, in an ideal world, people can say these things da, 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 and it, and everything is taken into consideration. Do you, do you know, do you know Alan Watts by chance? <laughs> Dude, I, that name? I was listening to him last night. I haven't listened to him in a while. And it just like, I had this, uh, I just had it on while I was doing stuff in the house. Yeah. Um, what, what, that's, you got, you thought of him right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it made me think of, he, he has this, uh, 
lecture on um it's kind of funny actually i i think south park creators they did like a video series and they did little snippets uh and they they kind of put their animation over his lectures oh. and they had one on prickle prickles and goo you just type in prickles and goo alan watts <laughs> it's great great video and I'm like you know you in life you meet people who are all all prickles and no goo you know they're all about the quantitative data you know what that shows and they're very rigorous and precise and then and then you meet people who are like goo you know who are like all about narrative and all about their emotions and feelings and are very expressive in that way and and then you know you have people who are prickly goo and then people who are you know gooey (laughs) gooey prickles yeah exactly (laughs) i said gooey pricks gooey prickles yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe there that's are a whole nother one <laughs> that's a whole other one sorry yeah oh my bad but yeah so like it it reminds me that um you know what we're working with when we when we say what what do you mean you know what what does it mean to be honest what does it mean to be, tell the truth um and that's something that i you know coming out of this relationship no no lie you know it's just examining that within myself and like man, I, I need to be more honest with myself, you know, I, because I, I, I think sometimes we get caught up in, you know, a goal or an outcome, you know, and we need to get to that goal or that outcome. Mm-hmm. But like, we, re- we we forget that life's a journey and it, it's it's like a dance, you know, and, you know, we, sh- we should dance while the music is being played. We should en- enjoy that, like, we're going to fall, um, you know, and getting back up, how do we get back up? How do, how do we continually try to find humility um, in a situation like this? And, um, you know, artfully just be ourselves, you know, and to, to me, that's like, mm. for, for me to fail like I did in my intimate relationship made me realize a lot of things you know and and the funny thing is is a, a good close friend of mine she, she told me she was like this isn't your only relate this is one relationship out of thousands of relationships you've had you know in your life think of all the people you've met in your lifetime mm. and what they walked away with you know from the experience with you so um it's a it's an intimate and close one and like, you know, like most intimate relationships, they, they, they kind of reflect certain things about yourself and you're like, ooh, I need to work on that. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> um, and, and that's that's kind of where I'm at currently, you know, uh, in my in my mind and like, ooh, man, trying to not beat myself up and just like move on with with love and continually learning and, and, and engaging um myself you know um in a non-narcissistic way (laughs) yes Uh, to try to uh you know try to be a service in some way you know while while i'm still breathing um yeah there's a there's a guy david goggins um he's got david goggins on youtube or google like he's i think he's like he's just like this badass 
gets up, like runs like crazy super marathons. And he's a very like in your face, but he doesn't like get in your face. He's just, he's very raw. He's like, look, he has these like one minute quick things, uh, snippets. And he's always running. He's always like, he's in the snow. He's like, okay, sometimes I've like right now he's wearing a t-shirt. He's like, uh, it's like six degrees out here. I made a wrong turn. I didn't plan for this. And sometimes in life, you know, you make wrong, make decisions. They take you somewhere that you're not supposed to be and you're not prepared for them. And it's like, so like don't wimp out. Like, don't be crybaby. Don't cry. just, okay, now I'm here. So I got to da da da. And he's just, um, sometimes some of that is good juice. Um, and he, he's just, he's just amazing uh, human being. Um, the thing that you said about, well, with the relationship, you said a fa- you used the word fail, I think, I believe. And I remember hearing someone say, you know, failure is just a lesson that wasn't taken, wasn't learned from an, from an event. So, you know, if, if, if you, something got messed up, crashed, well, you know, like, yeah, you literally crashed the car, you know, things like that. We all, we all have, <laughs> right? Or a lot of us right. have anyway. Um, if you can't walk away from that with something, with some lesson, that, you know, that's what a failure is when you, the lost lesson of an experience. So that's maybe a little bit t- toward Nietzsche's. Nietzsche's "What doesn't kill me makes me strong." Makes me stronger. I used to, I used to tweak that one. I used to say, "What doesn't kill me makes me stronger," or it, or it, you know, maims me or debilitates me. But you know, I used to mess with that. But I think that that line is more about like the lesson you can walk away from something improved, and no pain, no gain is often the case. Um, and so, so when you use the word fail, I, I just, that came to my mind to, to say, and then the thing about relationships and breakups, if there's one thing that is true and it's so hard to find, this is true when it comes to love or romance relationships, um, on a, just on this level, there are, there really truly are so many fish in the big sea. I mean, there really are there that there are tons of soulmates, tons of, I just really see that. I mean, that, that's what um, I really think. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. And that one that you chose at that moment, that maybe like this was the one or however, yeah, it's going to feel like crap. Um, and you got to get through that and you got to, you know, take care of your health and do, do the different things. And then for me, it's just looking at, um, being that self, the self-love and the commitment to your health. And that goes to your point about being honest with yourself, not being narcissistic about things uh, with yourself and looking for, well, what's the lesson here? And it's not always so clean, but if you're even, but if you're looking, <laughs> you're looking and you're like, I know there's some damn lesson in this thing and it could be annoying as hell. It's like, I'm supposed to find some lesson, really? What the hell? You know, and that's good. Yell, be, be annoyed by it. That's, you know, that makes sense, too. Um, but the fact that you're there already, I think that's, I'm not saying you, like you in general. If someone's there saying, okay, what can I pull out of this damn stupid experience? Really, there's some positive thing out of this. And it could be like a year later that it comes out. It's like, oh, or two years later. So where you're at now, you're also in a very, like you, Angela, in a very unique place this sort of post breakup space with the pandemic with the situation with your car and that near death experience that moment life flashing before your eyes all that 
you're in Texas. Um, I don't know what that means, but just there you are. So I'm just throwing all the ingredients in. Like you're in this unique place <laughs> in your life. Something that you know, you, if you had find some recipes to, to cook these ingredients uh, in, and see what kind of cuisines you can come out with, uh, because this is a very unique time in your life. And you, you know, you're you're going for that New York thing, the AmeriCorps thing. AmeriCorps is a great program. I work with in AmeriCorps. I've worked with a couple now, in the last couple of years on the farm worker housing uh, project, which I can mention. So I, I feel like there's a lot of things in your life uh, there that are unique. Again, with pain, with difficulty, with uncertainty, with nervousness, with excitement, with curiosity, with you know, you're doing this podcast with. Uh, sense of completion because you're going to have a master's degree all this stuff with achievement with concern with like all this stuff so everything like when I used to fight when I used to compete whether it was boxing or jujitsu or uh, other stuff I started to get used to that feeling of nerves and feeling scared it's like oh and so I train harder for the next fight I'm gonna train I'm gonna train and make sure I have the stamina make sure I'm not going to to, so that I wouldn't be afraid, but I was always afraid. And every time I, I started to realize that, oh, well, the easiest thing to deal with that fear is to just have it like say, okay, well, have a seat. All right. Oh, there you are. Fear. Yeah, sure. Have a seat. A, a lot of things are in my circle here. I got determination because that's I'm trying to do something. I have a goal in mind. I have ambition. I have nerves. I've, I'm scared. So all those like, okay, well, hey, grab a seat, sit down because yeah, you're part of this. So sure. And not resist it, but just, you know, give it its place, but don't overdo it. Don't have it. Don't let it have center stage either. Don't give it the microphone. It's like, hey, okay, that's enough. It's not your, now it's my ambitions turn to talk. You sit down, you've talked enough fear. Shut up. Like, let's be fair here. <laughs> you know? So I, I started to just create this way that I would let everything have a seat and have its place. And then that's all fine. And then whatever, though, whether I win or lose or perform great, get to my next level, is independent of whether I'm scared. In fact, the fear actually helped. And I've heard different um, fighters talk about this, too, where they were they relaxed on the fights that they, quote, unquote, should have won. And they realized that they slept like a baby the night before. They weren't normal, which was very uncharacteristic for, for the, some of them. And I remember, yeah, feeling nervous. If I wasn't nervous... I don't get nervous now when I think like, why am I not nervous? That makes me nervous. I'm like, hold on. I'm usually nervous even. And I know that, okay, these nerves are normal. And then I always perform well. I'm just waiting for the bell to ring. And whether it's giving a speech, facilitating the thing or whatever, I always get these nerves. And I just, I'm so used to them now that I go, oh, right. They, these are the nerves that I get. And if I don't get them, I think I'd be like, what's going on here? <laughs> why am I not getting nervous? I should be getting some nerves here. Um, so. Anyway, I'm just thinking that's what I wanted to share with you. Like you're in a unique place and I am excited for you. I, I want to stay in touch. Uh, and I want to bring it to the point that I that I um, said, even though we don't have a lot of time to get into this, that just means we're going to have to continue this conversation and not wait so long for the next one. But when it, back to the <laughs> idealistic, realistic, practical, what I, so looking at the work for housing and policies, uh, policy having the right policies so from the grassroots to the grass tops uh, making sure that solutions start you know reach everybody and hopefully they start from the bottom up I 
think about it in different, um, diferentes canales. They're like in different uh, channels, different levels uh, in, in terms of timelines. So I think about, and, and having, you know, I have a little boy, he's two and a half years old and he's so in love with him. Wow. He's like the love of my life. And that's grounded me <laughs> on a lot of things, of course. And it's, it's brought me face to face with a lot of things that I either didn't want to or didn't know. My, my unknown unknowns came out <laughs> and, and the known unknowns, <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and the known unknowns that I didn't want to deal with also. I'm like, oh, damn, I, I got to know. Straight out of the, yeah. the Hernandez camp. <laughs> <laughs> but I th think about um, the different levels. So, I, so this is what I mean. Um, there's a part of me that was always the idealistic, like the, Hey, revolution, man, 100%, the people, all of that. And then there's a spectrum. And then there's another point where looking at, we live in a capitalist system. There's this political thing. These are the, the this is the context. Um, what is politically and financially feasible given what the, the playing field that we're in? And then like with housing, you know, you're going for a certain number of units, a project that it could work. And then you have people that don't, that don't want the thing at all. And they're, you know, like, no, this is the wrong place. Uh, it's going to make traffic even worse and all this stuff, bring um, bad elements here or whatever. It's too many people, it's too, too much density. And then let's say it's a hundred units. So that way of those, and if they do their, you know, 15% inclusionary, or if they, they got to 100 through a density bonus where they're able to not have to provide as many parking spaces. If they add more units, they're going to be for affordable, and they're able to add another floor, you know, against maybe the, the code, all this. So, we, you know, you think, great, um, 100 units. Now, let's say there's a, comp a compromise, and you get, to, you get less than that. Now, the idealistic me from, you know, that was young and still in me could yell and scream with my fists up in the air and say, do you know how many people are out here? How many children are out here and sleeping in cars and garages? How many, which is true. How can you scale back? How can you worry about your, your view? This building is going to be out of character with the area. And like, what about this pain? Shouldn't this pain be out of character with the area? The, the suffering, these kids that are just repeating the cycle because they're not able to perform well in school because they're living in these messed up situations. So, that part is there and it's angry and wants to see, yeah, justice and just get as many units as we can and all that, if it's safe within the building codes and all that. Now, th there's another part that also says, if I keep going for 100 or nothing, go for uh, like, let's go for the, the most, the, and I see that there's a chance there's political and economic realities here and it has to be voted on by a board, by a council. And I go for no negotiation, um, we can get nothing. And so I fought the right fight. I was, I was going for the right thing, idealistically. But in the end, it, that 100 units can take many more years because there's forces against you. If you work and compromise in, in a sense and work it down and you end up with 80, you're like, okay, or 70, like, okay, 70 is not the 100 that we want. That's 30 less units for folks. But what's your bet? But you go like, okay, but it's 70, and otherwise it's nothing. So sometimes, you know, 
Like there's a thing, 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. So I try to be very astute in how I make when it's time to apply that principle of where, where can I be, where, where can I push and think, okay, think chess. If I then make a name for myself as someone that can work, maybe I can convince people in other places where they weren't even considering any units to consider some more and they'll see like me as reasonable. And I try to think of, of that. And yes, there's a part of me inside that screams inside like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Can't they see? And I never want that part to shut up or to be, or to you know, go away. I want it there. Um, I also have to, I also start to think about, okay, to solve the whole issue with my fists in the air, that's going to take, that's maybe looking 10 years, 20 years down the line. So it's on a different track. This one is planning commission, city council, maybe within this year, but before this end of the year, we can get constru you know, construction started. And by spring of next year or summer of next year, have people already moving in. So that is that timeline. So that's fine. Let's go to 70. And by next summer, 70 people can be moving in versus no one at all. And then we got to start all over and fight again. Um, and then there's, and then that person, the, the screamer inside the idealistic one, the young one, I want to merge it with the wisdom as we get older and the wisdom of my elders. And then think generationally. There's also a generational, like by the time, just before I'm leaving, I'm leaving it to my son. Hopefully on that level, we've shifted. And that's, uh, you know, and like you think of from civil rights marches to Black Lives Matter, look at these generations in between. And it seemed like it was progress. And it got in the books, but then there was this stuff in the culture and it seemed like we went back and we never really got through. So I look at those things. Now all of a sudden with, with the movement, it's like not generation. Now it's like, look, it's been generations. We need this stuff, the police stuff sorted out now, like now, like from generations ago, what the hell? From before, like when slavery started, we didn't need to have that. And it's like from back then all this started. So it's, there's no waiting. <laughs> that's just a ridiculous thing so then all of a sudden you know those different channels start to overlap or shift and I never give up the fight I'm also just that's how I've reconciled it at least for now something is like a, a political cycle economic cycle something is a five-year cycle 10-year cycle something else is generational cycle so I, I just apply the fight on all the levels where I'm making a progress on some point, getting half of something better than 100% of nothing. And then because I'm looking at being, well, we do live in capitalism. We do have this political system. So until that changes, I know that when a revolution comes, I know what side I'm going to be on. I know who I'm shooting and who's going to be shooting at me, let's say, or something like that. But uh, if we can work other ways, or if this is what we got now, then I'm going to maximize that and still work to change the system. That's just going to take a few minutes more than getting this housing project approved. So that's how I, uh, I wanted to um, wrap it, bring that up in sort of the farm worker housing and the plan. We can talk more in depth about it uh, next time. I feel it, it set a goal, as you know, 5,300 units in five years. And that number hmm. is not the 45,000 plus that the studies found and determined was needed to house everybody that needed housing. The, um, the over 90,000 uh, identified 
uh, agricultural workers. So 45,000 plus to house everybody adequately, but we're going to go for 5,300 units in five years. So why that number? Because that maintains the access rates to subsidized housing and maintains stability. Other, so it doesn't get worse. So that, that started to look at a five-year goal for one purpose of maintaining the current 7.2% access rate to subsidized housing. Um, but it also showed and talked about we need 45,150-something units to house everybody. And, and so it's clear about those numbers, and that needs to be taken care of. Uh, and then that that would be for us to then take up our take up arms in that in a sense, uh, you know, and polit politically, advocacy wise, policy wise, economically. So that that's um, I tried to tie it back to the farm worker housing, and then from there you support policy changes at cities, uh, look to educate folks on ways to work within the system to maximize uh, housing and project feasibility and, and for cities as well as for developers and all that, all the people involved. And also to support and encourage the, the right kind of projects to be proposed. Right, and you, you kind of see, um, you know, from the onset, I was just listening to the eulogy um, for Congressman uh, John Lewis and um, I, I was listening to Obama's words and how he was talking about how this country, it's a constant work in progress, you know, and then um, that connection between, you know, generational issues that we've been dealing with um, in terms of granting people's rights and freedoms in this country and how we're still dealing with that with, you know, voter suppression um, here in the South and, and even in, in Texas, as we speak, you know, we, we had several hundred polling locations closed through the primaries, um, just in Texas alone. So it's, it's, it's incredible that, you know, you, the, the dynamic work that we're involved in, in terms of, you know, getting people the services that they need, whether it's housing or, or public health, um, you know, part of what my practicum is this summer is looking at, you know, are the people that live on our borders, the U.S.-Mexico border in particular, are they receiving public health services um, during this critical time that we're in? Um, you know, and, and are people getting um, what they need also in, in our detention centers mm. uh, by the DHS? That, that's something that it's been difficult to find that information. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, kind of connects to, you know, you can't just Google everything now. I mean, you can, but like, you really have to dig if you want to find, um, you know, the raw data on, on certain uh, subject areas. And, and that's something that was, you know, I remember um, hearing in the news cycle like a year ago, about the the mistreatment of, of, of children, you know, and with the the family separation policy that was in place uh, last summer. Um, so it, it's a constant battle, you know, on so many different fronts. Um, 
where internally where you're saying to yourself like okay <laughs> let's not push the 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 gamut too much and um that's something that that we're discussing even today with the student housing coalition um i don't know if emmy's told you anything about that um, yeah with miss yeah great but, work uh, you guys are doing i i want to um come speak uh come join one of these uh, meetings yeah yeah we'd love to have you i think we're doing it bi-weekly now so like two weeks from now will be the next one but um yeah it's you know we're, we're setting some standards with uh the new housing that uh, miss is going to be putting putting in like it's going to be a dorm room type situation for students and our our main deal is is to make it you know um as as environmentally you know friendly as possible and that means like all these different demands but uh one thing we were talking about today is that like we can't come off to the administration as like adversarial you know or else they won't even give us, you know, any inch, you know. So it's like understanding where our negotiating power is, understanding where our best alternative is, you know, and like strategically placing that, you know, in, in different circles. Um, so you know, for the work that you do with the with with MBEP, um, and you know, you've you facilitated the the farm worker housing study and the and you were part of that oversight committee. Um, I, I was just reading up like on a news article on MDEP's website. You said that solutions don't come quickly, but the but the mostly behind the scenes work of housing advocacy meetings, public policy discussions, data tracking, consensus building, and funding solutions are showing results. So so what are I mean, we can we can have a completely different separate conversation on the farm worker housing study. Um but I have two last questions before before I let you go that <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really curious, uh, you know, in terms of showing those results thus far, because this this housing study came out, I want to say 2000. Uh, when, when did it come out? 2018? 2018. Yeah, yeah. Right. So what, what, what have you seen in terms of results from this this housing study? Um, at there's large. a I'm gonna not do justice because I, I do have to go but um, okay. the, the, there's so this goes back to again like I think now you may be thinking about the practical idealistic and realistic what in terms of um, there are some numbers some units that have come out during this time um, you know different projects we can point to but I think for the quick answer the standard, uh, the overall general standard has elevated. And by that, I mean the standard of um, uh, the housing standard in terms of the things that, are, that were harder before, like uh, for certain density for reducing parking, for uh, putting in infill sites, for, if, um, for streamlining um, projects, if they, if, uh, if they meet, certain requirements, then they would be a ministerial process versus a discretionary process. Ministerial meaning it's, if it checks off all the requirements, then it just goes through staff and gets processed like an application. Discretionary means it goes to a vote. It, you know, it could be whatever the project is, that's to go to a planning commission and then to a city council and they have to vote on it. And then that's where it becomes a show and it's a different uh, endeavor. 
the fact that more yeah. things have become, hey, there's no need to go through that whole voting pro- because that just means different people's opinions and a lot of people that aren't either informed about housing so much or the issues related to the project are voting on some on voting on it, yes or no, and it could be based on different things. They're also sensitive to a lot of folks coming out for and against that doesn't necessarily represent the community and uh, the naysayers of something, whatever the thing is, usually the no people of whatever the thing is. And sometimes the no is good, you should say no. Um, but just in general, those are always louder than yes people. So it the needed housing is so, the crisis is so bad that you shouldn't leave it up to that. It, it slows down the process. So the fact that now there's such more, more stream, we still need to streamline a bit, a lot more, but it's a lot better than it was just a couple of years ago when the study started. That's now become like a state standard. And a lot of jurisdictions now have to, by minimum, go by, there's legislation, SB 330, uh, that make it, you know, Fair Housing Act as well that gets enforced that if it addresses this much affordable, this percentage is affordable and it's an infill and all of this, then it's automatically, you don't mess with it. Let it just process or let staff just process it. So that's uh, been a success. That's been uh, a fruit of labor. The other thing is, the other thing I'll mention is that there's these conversations. So we still have, the, I still convene the meetings quarterly and there's subcommittee meetings that have been developed from each of the four areas of the study, which is finance, housing types, locating suitable sites, and um, regulatory reform. So those different groups, I have the meeting. This is, you have people that are city planners, city community development directors, people that work for AMBAG, for the county health department, uh, in agriculture, grower shippers association. So you have the different entities, civic, business, nonprofit, uh, all together and share, and each and everyone's learning from the other side and understanding. And I think, I guess it speaks to, okay, now we know why this is a consideration. Like you had a question about employer-sponsored housing and it's because of the financial models that they operate in, it's hard to, you always want to, you need an ROI. So I'm investing in housing and what's my return? And if it's just for my employees, well, then that's my return because I'm stabilizing them and they're my workers. So their stability uh, directly impacts the work and the output of, you know, the company. Um, But we need their families. There's kids. There's a spouse that both may not work in ag. One may uh, work in something else. So then I'm now I'm Mm -hmm. paying to house not just my employee, but others. And that becomes a complication in the business model. Uh, and that's what's been, we were working on that and doing a lot of work with uh, the Grower Shippers Association and other folks and making and having critical conversations. Then the pandemic hit and everyone had to go, you know, to the first aid of temporary sheltering for people that are living in crowded conditions. And this is a whole other thing that merits so much time um, you know, the, the farm workers, we kept saying they're essential workers are out there making sure we can have food, order food. They're picking, a, you know, we hear that all the time. And as we should, they're out there working so we can have food on our table. And you hear it from people in positions of leadership now that were farm workers when they were kids and younger, which is 
great to hear it and great to see that progression because that's the leadership we need. Um, how do we then, but then we look at their, the Dr. Moreno of Monterey County reported not that long ago that the point, the places of infection aren't out in the field where they're working, even though they're vulnerable because, but, but I think the ag industry has taken very strong measures to, uh, to improve that greatly the conditions in the field for COVID spread. Um, obviously there's always, that's another discussion, but the point being that actually where they were getting more infections disproportionately is in places where they meet at home, when they get in rides together, when they're waiting in places. So that's how do they shelter in place and separate when they're already living in crowded conditions. And so that, so mm. then all the effort went into dealing with that, but it, it made, we already knew they were living in crowded conditions and it was unhealthy for different reasons, bad for the kids um, psychologically and in many ways. And, and um, you know, having strange adults living in places with children uh, just because everyone's trying, renting a couch, renting a hallway to sleep in and just crowded up. Just that's, it's bad for so many reasons. So we knew that for a long time. And that was what the study right. really outlined. The pandemic just made it like, well, now you're just really going to get an inf infection. You know, the infection's just going to go off off the charts. And of course, we all live together. So it's it's just going to make everyone vulnerable in the community. You can't kind of like brush them off anymore, ignore them. Same with folks that are unsheltered, homeless folks. It's like, well, we don't want a pandemic in these encampments. It's easy to drive by them and go like, I wish we could do something or feel bad or give someone a few bucks. At the moment when they, if you know, you pass by them in your car, the thing is, if that's, if the infection is going to run rampant in an encampment, it's, you know, you wear the mask to protect others. How do you put a mask on that to protect? So then it just made it like, we have to deal with this. If you wanted to or not, now you really, unless you're going to let the pandemic really sp spread out more to you and your loved ones, now you have to, for that reason. So it's, for selfish reasons or humanitarian reasons, philanthropic or whatnot, there's a reason to, to deal with it, whatever. Pick your reason, it's there. The, the study underscored the overcrowding, yeah. And I mean, now it just became, what I was saying was it just became, uh, we had to deal with it before. Now there's, if before it's, you can't drive past it anymore. You can't ignore it because the, the virus is going to make its way to you the more, uh, present it is. So whether it begins with farm workers and unsheltered folks in encampments and poor folk who have health diseases because they can't eat a good diet and all this. And, you know, they're, you can only segregate folks so much that with the, the COVID-19, it's going to make its way out. Um, so I was saying if we have to deal with it now, whether it's for philanthropic reasons or for selfish reasons, because you don't want your family in wherever you live to get sick, because it's going to be out there. Now it doesn't matter what community we want it less, whatever the reason to help philanthropic, humanitarian, selfish, whatever, uh, good, bad, and mundane in between. There's a, just pick your reason because, but we know we got to do something about it. And same with the, you know, jobs and the economic situation because of it then. Um, I, I got to head out, but I, that was the, the last point about, at least really quickly about the study that I did underscore 
the, the conditions now that make the pandemic worse. And so everyone had to shift to dealing with that. And a lot of the talks uh, where we were at, the challenges for employer-sponsored housing and ag, um, we were in the middle of it. Um, that had to pause because of dealing with the pandemic. Uh, we can pick up next time on, on that and talk about more in depth about the, the other um, questions that you had. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. For sure, yeah. I, I think um, that would definitely be a solid continued discussion and you know, just seeing where um, you, you see those conversations leading to, you know, whether that's you know, expedited projects. You, you may mention, and I just wanted to remember this, um, uh, two, two types of processes that occur when, when you're coming up with the development of, of housing projects. And that was discretionary where it goes through like the voting system yeah. that you and I have, have really seen yeah. up front and close personal uh, through, you know, um, city council and what have you. And then the other type of housing, it's like more of an application process. Well, ministerial, ministerial is uh, non, non-voting. It's just, if it meets the requirements, then you just process the thing through. Uh, there's no... You know, no one exercises discretion. Like, do I like it or not? Well, you got to convince. It's more like, oh, it checks off. Okay, pass it through. And do you guys see any barriers in that ministerial? Do you prefer the ministerial route? Well, you'd want that. Like, the thing is, there should be a lot of great projects get killed through the discretionary. That's like why it, it through right. some things that just make no sense. So you do want yeah. a ministerial for a lot of stuff because otherwise, that, that's what got us in this problem that we're. That's one of the reasons mixed with other things. That got us into this housing crisis over decades. Is that you know? It's over decades that we got into this and just got worse. There's a few other things, some propositions and other things that laid the groundwork as well for the housing crisis. But that having everything go to a vote, go to a vote was also a key thing in putting us into this crisis. Let, let's uh, definitely do a deep dive on those, brother. I I, I love talking with you too. I miss you and. Um, and we need to do this more often because uh, there's always so much to talk about. And it always feels great to connect with you. Yeah, man. I Much love, man. I, 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 miss, I miss your voice. I wish I could, uh, could uh, we'll, we'll call it a virtual hug for now. But uh, <laughs> eso, eso. But yeah, oh. man, we'll, we'll be in touch. Um, we'll, and we'll figure out a, a good time for the next one for sure. Muy bien. Perfect. All right, folks, Miss Radio, peace. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Miss Radio. This has been Angelo Gonzalez, and just another big shout out to Rafa for being on the podcast and discussing everything from life to health to trying to find more ways to be gratitude. Um, to be gratitude wow <laughs> defining gratitude um in your everyday life so yeah without further ado thank you and stay tuned for our next episode upcoming next week with pam marino from monterey county weekly as we discuss more housing in the monterey bay peninsula take care ciao